Well, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Before we get started, I'm going to remind you yet again to sign up for my newsletter at jasonpereira.ca. And why do I do this? Because I know what the listenership numbers look like, and I know what my subscriber numbers look like, and there's a big difference. <laughs> so that said, please do so uh, when you get the opportunity. So on today's show, today on the show, I have Hayden James, co-founder and CEO of Fraction. Fraction is a company that is enabling a new method for getting equity out of your home or providing equity in order to purchase said home. And with that, here's my interview with Hayden. Hello, Hayden. Hello, how are you, Jason? Good, thanks for taking the time to chat. Absolutely. So Hayden James, co-founder and CEO of Fraction. Tell us about Fraction. Yeah, absolutely. So Fraction is a digital lending platform based in Vancouver. We have the broad vision of transforming home ownership and how people finance buy and sell homes with a focus right now on providing liquidity for home equity. Okay, so we'll talk about what that business speak means in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But tell me about the origin of Fraction. What was the impetus for the creation of it? Yeah, absolutely. So my co-founder and I, so my co-founder's name is Josh Baker, we're working on a previous project called Amplify. And it was essentially a fully automated social media marketing solution for real estate agents. We were working out of a real estate office here in Vancouver, and we got to see a lot of the reasons why people were selling their homes. And this is 2018. And then well, on the other side- The reason people were selling homes in Vancouver, <laughs> there's, there's been a lot of articles about that, okay? So anyone who wants to know about how you lend their money from the uh, fentanyl trade, um, might want to take a look at that. <laughs> Absolutely. And then on the other side of that, there's definitely a lot of people that were looking to invest in real estate, but didn't actually want to manage the asset itself. And so we essentially had this liquidity problem. And so we looked at how we potentially bridge these two pieces. One of the early questions we started asking ourselves was, could someone sell shares in their home? And basically the conclusion we came to pretty quickly was it wasn't really a fair trade-off for either side. So the homeowner didn't want to give up control and the investor didn't want to be at the whim of the homeowner. So what we ended up coming up with was essentially a debt-based product in which the rate of loan is based on the appreciation of the home. And so essentially it looks a lot like equity, but it provides the homeowner with control and it provides the investor with downside protection. Good. So it's interesting. So when you approached me about coming on the show, I jumped at it because um, let's, first of all, before we get there and I get the punchline to this story, <laughs> tell me about how you facilitate the transaction in home ownership for the owner. Like how, like, what is it you're doing that is different from us, the universe? Because we kind of, we kind of poked around it. Let's get to the, to the crux of what your technology is. Yeah, so absolutely. So the, the key piece of us is that it's a debt product that really that enables homeowners to take a portion of their home equity and put it into alternate investments through a vehicle that hasn't been really available before. And one of the keys is that there's no debt servicing or payments. And this enables a lot of different things for homeowners and allows us to build a lot of different products on top of it because creating liquidity for home equity is a transformative change compared to what it is today. So again, and we're beating around the bush again. We're talking yeah. about here is that we're talking about the ability for you as a homeowner to monetize on the sale of part of your home, not the right. entirety of it, right? Yeah. And this is, you know, the underlying technology behind this is, <laughs> care to share it? Is it blockchain? Yes. Yes, there Part we go. Yes. Thank you. And I'm getting at that. So, and the reason I get that, not just to, to toot the blockchain horn, it's because one of the most common use cases I've ever spoken about on this show for blockchain is the ability to fractionalize ownership of any asset. And the most illiquid asset in the average person's lives is their home. And I said, you know, we've talked about this before. If I, as a homeowner, wanted to access cash, there's certain ways I can do it. Of course, I can borrow and the biggest apps I can borrow at against and the lowest cost of borrowing would be to borrow against the home because it's a secured loan. However, of course, that comes with a carrying cost, right? Whereas 
well, if my house is already paid off and I want access to cash, but I don't necessarily want to take out debt, I could theoretically sell a stake in my home that would basically then go to another, another buyer. And I would always be able to buy that back at a, or buy back something similar at a market rate. So that's interesting. So let's talk about the, there's this entire value chain to go down here. So there's the, yeah. someone basically discovers your site, discovers that they can monetize through your site. What is the process for them fractionalizing their home? Yeah, absolutely. So they can come to our website, uh, submit some basic questions. So we ask them things like, of a mortgage do you have remaining on your home? What do you think the asset value is? There tends to be a difference between what it actually is and what people think their home is worth. You're kidding. The endowment effect that happens <laughs> in real estate, that is yes. shocking to me. <laughs> yeah. So we want to, we kind of want to understand where your, your thought process is. And then from there, we're pretty easy. We're able to qualify you pretty easily. So because we don't have to worry about things like a carrying cost, your credit history or your credit score is not that important to us. And then from there, that comes in our system. We then partner with a mortgage broker who walks you through the process. After that, we get an appraisal and inspection done, give you an initial offer based on that appraisal. And then from there, if you decide to accept that offer, we'd essentially just provide the mortgage documents through our platform. And it's a very, very simple process. All right. So you assess it now. Of course, one of the th questions that always comes up with this when I've uh, kind of blue sky decided in the past is what happens if the owner now basically they don't own the entire thing. So are they disincentivized from maintaining it? Or let's say they get to a period stage in their life where they they basically don't maintain it as well. Or is, is there not risk there for the investor? So this is like a key piece of our product. So because our product is technically a debt instrument, not actually equity, the homeowner still owns the entirety of the home and a majority mm -hmm. of the home. So in the case where the, let's say the homeowner deteriorates the home, uh, the investor can still recruit their principal plus a, a small rate. So essentially, again, we're going back to this, you're a debt instrument, but sort of, because the, the yep. variable payment is based on the market change in the value of the property. Correct. Yes, exactly. So, so technically, you're not selling, and I get that because the complications of selling fractional ownership is an issue, but essentially yep. what you are is you're, you're a variable claim against that. And I guess that's interesting too from a Canadian tax standpoint and a U.S. tax standpoint because of the exemptions on principal residence capital gains. Yes, exactly. And so it's also because the way we structure it, there is technically interest payments that don't come from the homeowner, but an interest reserve. Uh, mm -hmm. We're able to claim those as well. And so it's actually very tax efficient. So where is that interest reserve uh, coming from? Where's the money from that coming from? Yeah, so I can walk you through that. So let's say you're a homeowner and you want to take out, you have a million dollar home that you've paid off mm -hmm. and you want to take 10% of that. So $100,000 and put that into a retirement income por portfolio that pays you a dividend. We give you that that capital or that essential loan at, let's say, $100,000 at a 3.5% rate, but what we on a five-year term. But what we'd actually end up doing is putting 118000 on title, which is the interest over the five years and reducing mm -hmm. that interest rate. So the effective cost of borrowing is the same, but we make payments on behalf of the homeowner, interest-only payment, to our funding partners. So basically, that difference, and if that person sells the house early, let's say a year yep. later down the road, I decide to go out and you have this interest reserve still built up on my home. What happens yep. then? Yeah. So based on the time, the time period that you sell your home, the amount that you owe would be that time period plus the interest that's been paid or the appreciation. And so, so why, why this versus a pure equity play? Because I understand the couple of complications, but let's just talk, have, yep. have that conversation openly. Yeah, absolutely. So the problem with the pure equity play and these products have actually played out is that you have to compete for capital in the market. 
And so what ends up happening is because that investor doesn't have control, they want outsized depreciation, meaning that if they put in, let's say, 10% of the home's value, they want to kick out 25 or 30% of the appreciation. And those are some of the products that exist today. And so in order to get that down to, let's, let's call it like a pro rata rate, there needs to be some sort of downside protection for the investor. Okay. So simple enough. Yep. But again, like and I mentioned it earlier, from a tax standpoint, it's interesting because in Canada, principal residence is exempt from taxation. However, a separate investor would not be able to claim that on their portion, right? And then in the US, it's the first 250000 per spouse. And again, that if they have a pro rata amount owned by a third party, that that amount is not is not applicable to that third party. So you still you're still able to take advantages of of the tax play within the tax code by not making this an equity play. Yes, exactly. Yep. And then for on the other side of that, they can put it into investments that provide them income as well, and so mm -hmm. they can actually increase their income, use the interest payments as a subsidy on that, and make it even more tax efficient. Good. So impressive. So where are you finding the investors for this? Yeah. So we originally were funding deals out of our base, our private network or private capital. And then pre-COVID, we were putting together partnerships with some of the largest financial institutions in Canada. And then with, current, with the current environment and their focus, we've transitioned to U.S. private capital sources that we're funding these basically off our balance. And the appeal to them is what? The, the tax efficiency, the exposure to the market? The Yeah. yeah. There's okay. a combination of things. So when you look at our loan to value, which is a maximum of 40%, plus mm -hmm. the guaranteed payments, we're actually a very conservative product, even compared to traditional mortgages, but we have a slightly higher rate of return. And so for the home, for the investor, they get the upside of the appreciation with the downside protection of debt. And for the homeowner, they get the lowest rate possible without payments. And so it's a, it's kind of a win-win for both sides. Interesting. So what determines the amount of reserve you would have? So if I'm going to go for the maximum 400,000, uh, 40%, yep. I'm just using a million dollar proxy here. Yep. 40%. What determines the amount that is coming to me versus that reserve? Yeah, absolutely. So it's just based on the minimum interest rate that we charge over the five-year term. And so that 100000 if we're doing, let's say, a 3% minimum rate or a 3.5% minimum rate, that would be 18000 That just correlates to the amount that you're borrowing. Okay. And so it's yep. so at the end of the five-year term, though, what happens at that point? Is it being recapitalized? Like what happened? Like yeah. So yes, yeah, so there's three scenarios for the homeowner. Mm -hmm. So one is that the homeowner sells during the term, like we kind of discussed, yep. and they pay us out the greater of the minimum interest rate or the appreciation on the property. The second is that they renew. So we essentially take that original amount, add mm -hmm. another five years worth of payments on, and renew it for another five years. And then the third is that let's say they take in that four hundred thousand dollars, like you said, put it into the market and some sort of uh, diversified fund and that's outperformed the housing market and they use that as a hedge and they just buy us out. And so that's kind of the three different And that's an interesting piece specifically around what is going on in the marketplace today or what the, uh, right this moment, but in general, the growth of reverse mortgages, right? Because reverse mortgages are a methodology for extracting up to 50% of the equity out of a home, uh, at least in Canada, I'm not sure what the limits are in the US and putting that into the market as, or as a means of funding consumption going forward, which is technically to a lot of us kind of the last resort, right? If you want, if they're insistent on keeping the home, it is the last resort option is to basically do a home equity, uh, sorry, reverse mortgage. And I say it's the last resort because interest rates tend to be higher than conventional mortgages. And on top of that, especially if it's done, we'll call it younger, which I would say younger these days is 70s. That person could live to be 100 and they could pass away with no equity left in their home. And you know what? Yeah, but here's, the, here's the problem. They might be able to live in that home the entire time, but maybe they shouldn't be living in that home anymore after a certain point. And I've had that happen where someone has to transition to a retirement home, but because they're reverse mortgage so early, there was no equity left. So 
something like what you're talking about here is is more advantageous because essentially it looks like the rates are probably lower than what you're seeing on on uh, reverse mortgages. Is that about right? Yeah, so we're much closer to like let's say a HELOC rate or a second mm-hmm. mortgage right now. Exactly, and there's a bunch of optionality built into this, so yeah. it's an alternative, but it's also one that essentially you know later on if, if the value of the home does increase and they and they capitalize on that, they could potentially see themselves staying at a ever moving forty percent, right? So it's uh, it's an interesting play. Yeah, and actually on the other side of that, they can actually be in an advantageous spot where the investments that they invest in outperform their home. And so they're actually in a positive net worth gain. Yeah, on the other side. Excellent. So the... You know, this begs the question of where are you sourcing the real estate properties to to basically um, to securitize? Yeah, so there's essentially three different channels we use. Uh, one is directly through our website, so you can go there and apply. Uh, the second is through uh, mortgage broker relationships, and the third is through investment advisors. And so people that are coming to investment advisors looking to invest in these properties, and they think it'd be a good idea to take, let's say, up again up to forty percent of the property's value and put that into wealth management options. Good stuff. So out of curiosity, thus far. Yep. Um, first, okay, so are you free to talk about how much volume you've done thus far? Or is that still a trade secret? Yeah, I can't disclose that. No, sure. no. I can say, uh, yeah, we're in the tens of millions of dollars in applications. I can say that. Good. And in general, what's been the response of, from the owners of these properties? First of all, how long does it take to get them to wrap their head around this concept? This is not something new. This is definitely something new to them, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And like for like any new financial product, education is key. And so we've worked really hard to make it as simple as possible, where essentially it's a loan that that's based on the uh, appreciation of your home. And so just trying to make it as simple as possible, but it does take some education and we uh, rely on our partners for that. So mortgage brokers, financial advisors, making sure they're getting the right product. We're not the best product for everybody. And we're not scared to say that, but we are a really great product for a lot of people. So the reception has been really great. There's a lot of, especially if you look at now, being able to tap into your home equity instead of having to pull out your retirement funds or your RSPs is a mm-hmm. really big upside. And we have a lot of people right now too that are looking at the stock market and seeing the future and going, you know, maybe a good time to buy is in the next, you know, three to six months. And so that is not an endorsement to go speculate people. Okay. That's no. just a big, big disclaimer there. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that out. So Let's no, right, out. we're going to leave that in. It's fine. We're not cutting okay. that out because <laughs> I'm going to cover my butt one way or another. Good, good, good. So, all right. Interesting. So, I mean, you took a revolutionary technology and yep. you gave it a very practical application. And I think, like I said, this is one of the, the more promising aspects. And I think one of the interesting things about this show and people have been following my podcast since the beginning is blockchain went from this abstract thing that people didn't understand. And then to this, that was just about currency speculation to some degree and you know nefarious means to, oh my God, this technology could revolutionize a lot of things we do. And what's really nice is in the last little while, I've been having a lot of conversations about people who are finally starting to execute on the promise of what blockchain is doing. <laughs> so it's, it's nice to see that this revolutionary technology that you know once the crypto winter hit, a lot of people just said, oh, well, there's that. It's like, no, this is going to be a core backbone of so many things we use uh, going forward. Talk to me about why blockchain is the right tool for something like this. I've got my reasons for believing it, but let's have an open conversation about it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting, obviously, like we were talking about, because on the retail side, there's an option for liquidity, if you can get the right distribution, as well as taking out a lot of the intermediary fees that are included in securitization. And so we're doing kind of a dual process right now, going through traditional channels with institutional investors, because they have 
a much more difficult time adopting this type of technology when it comes to regulation. But on the retail side, there's a really some really, really interesting uh, things that we can do. So some interesting products are things like uh, home ownership diversification. So 70 to 80% of your net worth is in your home. That's the only home mm-hmm. you own. We can help you take 40% of that and put that into a diversified portfolio of properties that can be traded. So that's like a really interesting thing that, is, that this enables. There's obviously some downsides. The technology is new. From a regulation standpoint, from a regular state standpoint, there's a lot of issues that came out of that original kind of crypto bubble and a lot of mistrust that was well-founded. <laughs> so having a useful application that has underlying collateral that is uh, secure is, is a really good use case for, for blockchain because you can actually go back and audit that if you need to. So here's another question for you. Is anyone using this type of structure as an alternative, just a conventional mortgage to, to just own their home thus far? In terms of like buying a home using yeah because I mean I just, I just used your calculator online to see what it would look like with me and you showed me equity today and equity with fraction and I yeah. looked at this and said to myself huh could this replace a first mortgage I mean the rates are, are you're not quite there yet yep. but is anyone actually using that in this in that instance uh, yeah so the a product we've been working on we haven't launched yet essentially is a product that combines the product that we've been talking about this home equity product with a conventional mortgage so by enabling institutional investment into a residential property, we can actually uh, lower the cost of a property and increase mm-hmm. uh, home affordability. So that's something that we're going to be launching. We haven't launched yet, but have already put the work into doing so That's an interesting market expansion there, right? Because essentially yeah. you become an alternative to a conventional mortgage and that's an alternative right. that does not require monthly outlays, right? Now that yep. said, if you ever want to own the home outright, you're still going to have to save the same amount of money, right? But I mean, if I wanted to just basically for a couple of years, not have to worry about that and worry about maybe renovations or invest in anything else, real estate, you name it, that frees up a huge line item on people's income statements uh, yeah. to basically do that. Yeah, absolutely. So you can imagine where you're putting 70% of that mortgage payment towards a home and 30% towards uh, alternative investments that are more diversified. And so instead of all your paycheck going towards your mortgage and the rest going to expenses, you actually have a nice portfolio at the end of the day. No, that's interesting. I mean, especially if you're capitalizing against uh, the increase in value. I mean, I can it's, I can almost foresee a world where people are like, you know what? I need to maybe buy the bigger house for the next 10 years because my kids are young. I need the space. I need whatever it is. I do plan on downsizing. However, I really don't want to basically take on the mortgage that's going to be that much bigger. In theory, they could utilize your platform, basically ratchet up their home size, with the intention of ratcheting down later on and basically not be out of pocket for the differential in cash flow if they chose to be. And, and the, the trade-off would be they give up some of the upside, right? So that is, I mean, when we're talking about timelines that are short, I'm never going to talk about real estate not going down. We're talking about decade, you know, like maybe maybe over two renewals. You're pretty safe historically. So that's an interesting tool you have there, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, the, the people that come to mind are the, you know, people that are having kids are looking to buy an extra bedroom, living yeah. in a one bedroom apartment that need to upsize so that have real needs, not just that want to have a nicer kitchen. So there's like a real use case that uh, can be extremely beneficial. Yeah, now you got my, uh, you, you got the wheel spinning right now. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, I'll be very curious to see how well this goes going forward. So yeah. overall, things are going well. Receptions, you're, you're filling both sides of the marketplace. You're, you're finding the yep. capital you need. Uh, you're providing a useful utility and function there. Any kind of negative blowback or, or any kind of people saying like, wait a minute, you want me to give up whatever? Like, I'm not going to do that. So what's the negative feedback thus far? And have you combated that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you were talking about something earlier uh, called reverse mortgages <laughs> that have a negative connotation. And we serve uh, some of the same purpose in providing a product 
that doesn't have payments to people mm -hmm. that are looking to increase their disposable cash flow. Mm -hmm. And so we get associated with that quite often. The difference is how we implement it. And so sometimes it takes some education and explanation. The other side is people who are extremely bullish on real estate who uh, <laughs> uh, I give up the 15% I'm making per year. Yeah, exactly. Actual think, conversation I've had. Okay. Yeah. Actual conversation. Sadly. Oh, multiple times. And you know, it's when you look at that in a vacuum, like Vancouver from 2013 to let's say 2018. Sure. But over a historical context, that just doesn't happen. I can show um, you the historical charts that show you it's inflation, right? And yeah, you exactly. want to argue it didn't happen here. Like, oh, things are different now. It's like, no, you know what? Things are different. Money got really cheap really fast. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Not anymore. No. And so it's one of the things cheap, when, but... when, we, when <laughs> it's still very cheap and getting still cheaper, very cheap, but yeah, getting cheaper, <laughs> but you know, there's a difference between double digit interest rates on mortgages, you know, people paying 20% going down to people paying three to four, right? Yeah. That is an incredibly bullish run on any kind of leveraged asset, right? I'm sorry, you can't go from three, you can go from three to four down to zero. But that's as far as it can go. Yeah, exactly. The bank's not going to pay you to have a mortgage. <laughs> no, unless you're in some places in Europe right now. <laughs> but nah, that's um, a misnomer. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, to be like, there is some negative blowback when it comes to to people that are really bullish on real estate. And so that's their own theory. But we looked at the math, and one of the reasons, and one of the, the real things that we wanted to tackle was we wanted to put the consumer in the best place possible at any time. And so by being able to charge the minimum rate possible when the market's down and charge a little bit more when the market goes up, they're in the best position they can be. Well, in terms of their thoughts, uh, as Nicholas Nassim Taleb says, time is the only arbiter and it's a matter of time before they are proven incorrect. Or I am, but I highly doubt that. Anyway, <laughs> that said, excellent. So before we wrap up, there's the three questions I ask everybody. And I warned you that I typically blindside people with them because they clearly have not listened to enough of my podcast to be ready for this. The first one is if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? That's a good question. I wish that founders would look at raising equity capital for what it is, which is giving up a large portion of your company to, instead of as a sign of success. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's, um, you know, in fairness, there's a lot of risk to startups. Um, and, and yeah, I get why that happens. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I've seen some founders being left with single digit ones. And you're just wondering like, wow, that's, that's a lot to give up on the way <laughs> up, man. So, I mean, I really, I really, really hope that that money made it worth a heck of a lot more than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, just I think sometimes founders judge success based on the amount of money raised rather than the impact or the trajectory of their business. Excellent. Second question for you is what's been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are today? Originally not coming from finance. So building that network out especially on the institutional capital side, it's very much who you know. And so putting that network in place has been challenging and time consuming, uh, but worth it. Good. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Um, there's, a, there's a common thread amongst so many of the people in, in these fintech startups is, yeah, none of us came from finance. It's like, that's good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good because the preconceived notions of the way things are just are not a roadblock in your head and an obstacle. Uh, however, some of the fundamental things where it's just like, oh, you mean people wouldn't go for that? Like, no, that's <laughs> not how things actually work. Unfortunately, there is, a, there is definitely a graveyard of non-financial background fintech startups that just got decimated for lack of understanding of fundamentals of the actual marketplace. Uh, glad to see you're not one of them. Let's see. And the last question I ask is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up out of bed to fight the good fight every morning? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the biggest thing for me is I look at my friends and family who either would like to get into the housing market or who owned homes and had to sell them because they couldn't access their home equity. And that was just based on the fundamentals of how real estate worked in the past. And so what excites me is that we can change that and make real estate more inclusive 
and more affordable for everybody, which is a, a major uh, driver of wealth generation. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about what you just said there because um, you know I almost look at what you're doing as potentially inflationary as well, which is a doubt, which which then hurts affordability, right? Anytime, unfortunately, there's a duality of that anything anything you do to make real estate more affordable for the masses, all it does is create a market distortion that basically pushes prices even higher and therefore a feedback mechanism that results in it being less affordable. <laughs> yeah, I think the key, I can, I can tackle that actually. So I think like for with the home buyer product that we're talking about, which combines our product and the mortgage, there is a slight penalty to that. Mm-hmm. And so it is much more of an equalizer rather than a leveraging tool, because like we were saying, you do have to participate in the upside as well. And so for someone that can afford to go take out a conventional mortgage for that same home, they might be in a better spot to go do that, which is a key when we design that product. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a part of it is, is a cash flow issue. I mean, I kind of look at, I'm sure anyone who did what you're doing now, and we're recording this, of course, in the, in, in the age of COVID, who basically used your product and does not have that monthly cash flow going out is probably thanking their lucky stars right now that yeah. they basically do not have to go to a bank and ask for a deferral on a mortgage. And it may, you know, that only lasts six months. Maybe they're in a position where their, their job is, is insecure that they're not going to get it back after six months. This actually is quite honestly, this type of structure is one that is probably likely to lead to fewer bankruptcies than conventional mortgages. That's for sure. Yeah. And a lot less people have to do fire sales on homes. And so they're able to ride out this kind of down downside in the market. Why people, why credit gets restored. And so it can actually be a positive change. Fantastic. Well, first of all, again, uh, very encouraged to see blockchain's promise becoming blockchain's reality. I think it makes a lot of sense what you're doing. Uh, This is one of the use cases that I've been talking about for years. Nice to see someone actually doing it. I remember I very early on mentioned it to a friend of mine. He's like, oh my God, it's brilliant. We got to do this. We got to jump in and do it. I'm like, I guarantee you someone else is like, no, you just came up with this on the spot. I'm like, sure I did, but guarantee just Google it. And sure enough, I was like, here's 12 different plays right now. I was like, let's see what actually comes out of it. So yeah, very pleased to see it. I'm very interested to see how this pans out in the future. And I think, I think if you can get that cost of the cost of borrowing down to conventional rates, the world is your oyster, my friend. I mean, honestly, just thinking about, as I said, even the simple use case of, you know what, need a bigger house for the next 10 years, want to move to a condo when that's all done. I, I think that's, that is an incredibly appealing sales pitch as to not swallow up more of my monthly cash flow and and I'll give up some of the upside. I'm good with that. I'm sure again the people who believe in the 15% upside disagree with me, but again, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> yeah, I'll, so, I'll let them stay in that camp. <laughs> so hey, thank you. Thank you yet again for taking the time. It's very much appreciated. This is very interesting and I hope everybody takes the time to check out what it is you're doing. Follow up with your progress going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Really appreciate your time, Jason. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks. So that was my interview with Hayden James of Fraction. I hope you found it interesting and I hope you found it as compelling and market expanding as I did because I think that there's, if this works, <laughs> there are some big implications for how this could roll out to the rest of the world. So as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. I really do appreciate it and it really does help people discover the podcast. So I often have people come up to me saying they love my content and how can they help? And I was like, <laughs> my first response is, have you left the review? If the answer is no, pull out your phone and do so, please. Thank you very much. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.